We got today's reading is Matthew 5, 1 through 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. All right, good morning. Uh, My name is Tommy. I'll be your pastor today. Um, (laughs) Emergency exit in here. Um, Okay, so we've been going through the the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes, and we're doing them one at a time because we're, we're diving into the context of all of them and trying to see them through the eyes of the original receivers of, of, of these words of Jesus. Um, and when you do that, you kind of see new things sometimes. And so we're going to do that today with, with this passage. We're on... Uh, oh, oh, am I working? Yeah, I'm working. Okay. Uh, we're on uh, verse 6, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And... Uh, Today's going to be less of a teaching and actually more of a sermon. So you'll see, they're different, you know. Um, Also, happy Mother's Day to moms. I'm not going to make you stand up. Don't worry. Um, And uh, sorry we didn't have more women on the stage today. I I kept thinking about it. There should be more women up there. Not today, sorry. Um, But I thought about it. Um, I noticed, I'm sorry. but And so I don't actually do, like, sermons based upon holidays except for, like, Christmas and Easter. So I'm glad you're here, but I will not be preaching a Mother's Day sermon. Um, I just don't. But uh, the gospel is about bringing new life into the world, so it's, it's, it's very much about motherhood, right? Am I right? Okay. So um, we'll get there. Uh, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll work something in. Um, I'm still writing the sermon. Okay, so let's pray, and then let's, let's do this, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this church, your body, gathered together as one. There's so many different people, so many different stories, um, so many people on different journeys and going through different things, some of them very joyous, some of them terrifying, some of them very heavy. Um, and so we all bring whatever we have here together, and we ask that you would... Uh, you would fill us up. You would give us what we need. Um, give us the words that we're looking for. Um, give us the, the peace that we know exists and we just can't seem to grasp it. I lift up all those um, who are bearing heavy burdens. Maybe, maybe Mother's Day is actually more painful for them. And we recognize them. And... Uh, we pour grace upon them and mercy and love. Uh, you understand pain. You understand what it is like uh, to create new life. You understand all of our experiences. And so we affirm that you are here with us, that you are present, that we are loved, and there's nothing that we could do to, to cause you to love us more or less. And so we, we stand still and we receive that. Thank you for this, this morning. I ask that you would speak through me, that you would uh, allow me to remember the things that I've studied and understood this week and um, allow it to be received with not just um, knowledge, but with wisdom. Thank you. Amen. Okay, 
So uh, our passage again starts off, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Uh, so if we're going to talk about hunger and thirst, first thing we're going to do is we're actually going to, we're going to do a little bit of teaching. We're going to look into uh, uh, first century, what, what hunger and thirst, what you thought of when you lived in a first century Roman Empire, uh, and you talk about hunger. Because oftentimes today we talk about hunger, it's more of a like, I should have eaten by now, but I didn't yet, so I'm hungry. In the first century... It was vastly different. In the first century, let me, let me give you some, uh, some stats here. Uh, most, uh, the vast majority of workers in the first century received a wage of one denarius per day. That would, in today's terms, it would probably come to somewhere between 30 and $40 a day. Uh, so they weren't living large. Okay, they, they ate meat one time a week. Um, and there was no running water. Uh, if you wanted water, if you were thirsty, or needed to do anything else with water... Um, Throughout most of the ancient world, you had to walk a pretty long distance down to a water source, take that water back to your house, and do this over and over several times throughout the day. Uh, And uh, there was a general understanding that most people um, below the line of wealth um, were poor, and most people walked a line uh, on the edge of starvation all the time. Um, knowing that a difficult season was always coming. Once you get through the season of harvest, you get into the winter or you get into the scorching summer, uh, and it's, it's difficult to live. Um, and this causes a lot of things to happen. It causes the lifespan of the average person, um, the average day worker um, and their family to be about 35 years old. So I would be considered an elderly person in those days. Um, the only people that lived into their 50s in the first century were, were those who were either very rich or very lucky. You always see the old lady on TV. This, she's 105 today. Hey, Granny, what, uh, what's the secret to a long and healthy life? Scotch and cigarettes every day. And then, <laughs> like, oh, no, it's just, that's not true. She's just lucky. So there's people, there's people who are lucky... Uh, and then um, I, I apologize um, and then you have uh, it, there's other things that causes as well um, a lack of food being hungry and thirsty all the time the average child the vast majority of children in the first century didn't live to the age of 10 years old um, this is still true in many places in the world where hunger is a big thing today. My brother is, in, is a missionary in West Papua, Indonesia, in the deep jungles of, of um, Indonesia. Uh, the people there don't even name their children until they're three years old, knowing that there's a high likelihood that they're going to lose them. And so at three years old, they give them a name because now they'll probably survive. Um, when, you, when you're hungry and thirsty all the time, um, this is how life is, and it's difficult. And so we come to our passage... Um, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And when you talk about hunger and thirst in the first century, you're talking about aching. Uh, you talk about pain. You talk about a constant thought. What am I going to eat today? How am I going to live? Um, I didn't eat yesterday. Maybe I'll have food today. It's how we're going to make ends meet. I hope we never go into a famine because there's no way people like me would survive this. Only the wealthy would survive this. Um, and so it's always on your mind and you're always trying to find food for your family uh, it's a constant thing. It's a, it's a terrifying, anxious thing. It's not, I'm kind of hungry. That's not what it was. Um, 
And so it's not just hunger and thirst. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we're going to talk about, um, there's, so there's like a, there's like a subject, righteousness. Um, normally when we think righteousness, we think kind of what I, what I call like high school morality, right? Um, um, I don't lust, I don't get drunk, I don't, you know, I don't do all the things I'm not supposed to do. I don't look at pornography, and, and that's what we think. We think, um, the, typically if you grew up in a church and, and, and you grew up in like uh, youth groups, then they, they give you a long list of things, don't do these things. Um, and we're like, okay, I'll try not to do these things, my best. Um, and then and they send you off with a, a, a big list of morality. And that's what we think of when we think of righteousness. But actually in scriptures and in the first century um, context of this and throughout, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you see is righteousness actually is linked to the idea of justice. Um, these ideas are linked together all over the place. Uh, it says justice and righteousness. And then, it, and then it has a sentence that pertains to certain things um, like fair weights and measures, uh, just legal proceedings, good personal conduct, Honesty and truthfulness. Um, employers economically just behaviors, like how much you pay your employees. That's talked about in scriptures as something that is, that is both a righteousness and a justice issue linked together. Um, judges fair decisions, that we have fair rulings from the bench or whatever. Uh, the government responsibilities of kings and rulers to make sure that their laws are economical and fair for everyone. And so... Uh, when you talk about righteousness, it's not just youth group morality, although that is included. It transcends that. It's bigger. It's, uh, it's everything being in its place. It is things being as they should be. The greatest way to understand this is this ancient Jewish word, shalom. Everyone say, shalom. Very good. Um, you'll hear Jewish people greeting themselves with this word all the time. It means peace, but it doesn't just mean peace. Um, it, uh, oh, by the way, in Hebrew, here's kind of how it looks. Um, and uh, in, in sh- the idea in ancient Hebrew, in shalom, is the same thing as righteousness and justice linked together when things are as they should be. In other words, we have all of these pieces. They all exist. They're all here. We have everything that we need and it's just kind of putting it as it should be so that it provides for us. And so it's, but it's not just a tangible thing. It's also a spiritual thing. It's, in other words, living in the world uh, on earth as God does in heaven. And you hear Jesus talking about this in his prayer. So we have this idea of um, where God is ruling, where God is, where Jesus is Lord, where God is on his throne, everything is as it should be. All the pieces are in place and set up in a way that is just and righteous. And so the people are at peace. All the beings are at peace. Um, And Jesus' prayer is that whatever that looks like, that needs to happen here. And so the people of God are the people that bring this into this world. This is what we are supposed to be. Um, Conduits of the grace of God and the righteousness and the justice of God in this world. Um, And and so at the beginning of the story, you have, hey, Adam and Eve, I'm going to put you in a garden, and you're going to work the garden as the image of God. You're going to do my work here. You're going to guide this thing and order it so that it it continues to grow in shalom and move forward. Um, And so you have this idea of shalom. So it's not just, it's it's more than this too. Um, So if we go back to the verse, we have, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They ache, they have a, just an intense desire and are constantly focused on righteousness, things being as they should be. 
But there's also, when you actually open it up in the Greek, you see some, um, you see some sort of functional verbs here that, that you kind of need to look at and understand. Normally, when you talk about hunger and thirst for, for bread and water, um, the way the word is used uh, is what's called, it's, it's used in what's called the genitive. That's part of the whole. In other words, um, if you're going to ask for, I'm hungry, I would like some bread, you're not asking for the entire plate of bread, you're asking for a portion for you to eat. Um, and if you're asking for water, you're not asking for the entire pitcher of water. You're actually asking for enough to put in a glass and drink. Enough for you, and there's some for everyone else as well. Um, but that's actually not how it's written here. It's actually written in what's called the accusative, which means the whole. So this is your cousin sitting at the table saying, pass the bread. And you pick up a slice and you go, no, 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 the bread. I want all the bread. All of it. It's a lot of bread, so I'm also going to need all the water. <laughs> Pass the water. And so it's sort of this, not a piece of it, all of it. I want everything to be whole. So if I'm going to rewrite this with all of this in mind, it's going to sound something like this. Blessed are those who ache for everything to be made right, who yearn for wholeness everywhere. Blessed are you who see the pain and suffering in the world, how things are not as they should be, and you ache inside, and you are consumed with thoughts of this is not right. You see the picture of the, the Syrian boy pulled out of the rubble sitting on the chair. His face is like in my mind regularly, and I see his face. He's four years old. and This is not right. There is enough for him. Why is this happening? And it says, blessed are you who ache for everything to be made right again, who yearn for wholeness everywhere. So let's, let's paint a picture of this, of basically my story, probably your story, all of our stories, okay? Here's you and me. It's all of us. Um, now, somewhere far out on the outer reaches of like our lives, of the things that we understand, we look around the world and stuff that we're not connected to, but we're aware of it. Um, there's poverty and there's hunger, there's famine, there's slavery, war, violence, oppression, racism. We see it. It exists. It's happening. And we're upset about it. And we see it. And, and, and sometimes we really focus in on it. And they could probably fix it if they would do this. But we're focused on it. And we hunger. We're like, oh, I, I can't believe. You see, again, um, in Syria, the, 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 the bombing, the chemical weapons used to, to kill all these children... And you ache because of it. And it's, it's deep inside of you. And it's like this pain. It's like, I, I can't even watch it. I'm going to turn it off. I can't watch it. And then you see, and you, at, least I'm, at least it's way over there and I'm over here. And then we, we realize it's happening. It happens in our, in our world too. In our country, we see, we see children in Flint, Michigan, poisoned regularly. People now in jail admitted, yes, we hid this and allowed this to happen. Like, this is happening and we see it, and it's wrong, and we know it, and we affirm. And then, and then you, you're disrupted from that by looking closer right immediately at your own community. Um, and then you see friends. Um, there's a ton, so there's, there's, this, there's different sort of seasons in your life. There's a season in your early and mid-20s which um, everyone's getting married, right? Some of you are there now, and you're, you're, there's parties, and it's a celebration of life and love. And then six or seven years later, it begins to seem like all your friends are getting divorced. 
And you look around and you, you kind of, this is not supposed to happen. This is not supposed to go this way. We had plans, all of us together, to raise our children, to grow old. And you say, it doesn't look like it's going well for them. And then later on, you sort of realize it's not going, it's not going well. They're, not, they're separated. And then you find out they've went through with it. They filed divorce papers. And you're just, and your heart aches. And you say, no, what can I do? I can't do anything to stop this. There's nothing I can do. Um, and then there, you see other people in financial stress. They're friends of yours, and they're making bad decisions, and there's nothing you can do. There's no words you can speak to get them to stop what they're doing, and you know it ends bad, and you feel, like, you feel like they're covering up some kind of pain in their life, and then you have strife with family. There's gossip happening. There's someone who's addicted to something, and maybe they don't realize they're addicted to it, but everyone else in the family does. Um, or maybe they do, and they're just trying to climb out, and they can't, and they keep relapsing. And so there's all this... There's this pain here. Um, and then there's loss, you know, family members that are no longer around. There's divisions, maybe, maybe lines drawn on the family because of some partisan thing that you all can't agree upon. And there's all this. So this is all part of our lives as well. And you ache over this. Um, and that's not even the end of it because when you are alone by yourself, you have these other things. You have fears, things you're terrified of, insecurities, um, body image problems, um, wondering how people look at you and do they look at me like this? Do they, do they see this thing that I see in myself? You envy other people. You have anxiety. Um, there is lostness. You, maybe you've deconstructed your faith and you don't even know what to make of, of, of God anymore and you're just here uh, in this place and nobody knows but you and you're slowly trying to fix things and what you find is there's so much to fix that you can't fix anything. You do nothing. Um... So kids are really good at making messes. Really good. They're professional mess makers. Mine are. Um, they're going to go pro. They, my daughter especially, big messes, but they're like, it's like glitter and unicorns everywhere in her room. And I go into her room and I say, Penelope, she's six, you need to clean your room. But daddy, there's, it's too much of a mess. I can't clean this up. And I say, Penelope, clean your room. You have one hour. And I leave and I come back in an hour. It's exactly the same. (laughs) Except she's sitting on the floor looking at something. (laughs) Penelope, why didn't you clean your room? And she starts crying and she says, the mess is too big. I can't fix it. And I say, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) I know exactly what you're saying. I get it. I feel this way. I have these conversations all the time. I can't fix this. What do I do? There's this hunger and this pain in my chest. And there's these people. I can't live up to their expectations. I can't make them happy. There's a marriage falling apart. And these people over here are looking at me saying, you're the pastor. Do something. That's your fault. I can't fix it. I don't know what to do. And we just stand there. And because we don't know what to do, we do nothing. I have so much to do. I'm going to bed. <laughs> and on top of this, on top of this, we have these anxiety devices that we carry with us for some reason. And all day they ping you and they buzz in your, in your pocket and you pull it out and you realize, oh my goodness, this is getting worse every day. What am I going to do? And you actually... People develop this thing called compassion fatigue. It's kind of a joke, but it's a real thing. Compassion fatigue. Where like, you weren't built, even for the outer ring. People 
didn't used to have access to everything happening in the world. You only had access to your problems and the immediate problems of your community. And then technology creates this newspaper. And it was okay for a couple centuries because it was just like once a week you would hear, oh, that's a big boat. It sank? Wow. And you like, you dwell on that. But then you move on because you didn't get another paper for a month. And now here we are every day, all day, in your eyeballs, just, here's everything wrong. And, I mean, clinicians actually experience something called empathy fatigue, where they hear so much. Uh, I, I probably pastors do too. It's, it's this thing, you, you're not just carrying your stuff, you're carrying everyone else's stuff. And eventually, you know, you have these like mirror neurons, those things, you just burn them out. And you no longer feel what other people are feeling. And this is where we find ourselves. This is what we've done to ourselves in our world. And, uh, and then we come to the Beatitudes. And there's this paradox. The things that are somehow, in Jesus' teaching, the things that we avoid, Jesus actually says, there's actually blessing in that. There's something there, I'm in that. And you need to look at it differently. And so the first one is like, uh, blessed are the poor. It's, it's blessed, you know... Poor in spirit, even. The, the idea is like they're totally destitute. Uh, and Jesus kind of says, well, they're, blessed, are the, blessed are the poor. Like they're, they're actually able to see life as it actually is. There's this affirmation that um, everything that you need, you receive from outside of yourself. And everyone else is, has convinced themselves that they are providing for themselves. But that is an illusion we all are surviving because of the grace of God every single day. You woke up this morning and it's a gift. And the only people that realize it are the people who have nothing. And so you become their teacher. Blessed are you. You know something that everyone else is ignorant of. And you have a position of authority over them to tell them what life is really about. And then we come, so blessed are the poor. And then we come to today's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you read this and you realize um, there's, no, there's no command. This is the biggest thing to understand. And I want, you to, I want you to take a moment to explain this. There's nothing, God doesn't tell you what to do. Jesus doesn't tell them what to do. Um, there's no instructions about what to do if you're hungry. There's no advice. There's no baby steps to walk up. There, there's, no, there's no blame being put on you. Um, there's no commandment at all. There's just an announcement. It's an announcement. Hey, I see. I see everything you see. I understand the brokenness of the world. I'm with you. I have grace for you. Be blessed. Be filled. Um, and I've heard these Beatitudes taught in ways that are vastly different. I've, I've, heard, I've heard theologians and commentaries, and I've heard other, other sermons that basically say, this is the hardest uh, Beatitude, the most demanding one, because um, it's the one where, where you really get it together and you strive to make everything holy in your life. and You strive to get sin out of your life. And if you do this, you will be filled, you will be blessed. And I want to be clear, that's not what's happening here. If that's what Jesus is saying, that if you can fix it, you'll be blessed, that's 
If, if that's what Jesus is saying, that's not grace. That actually goes in the face of everything else he taught and did. That's called law. And in fact, you are not told at all that you will be blessed if you can fix and repair all of these broken things, even in your life or in your community or in your world. The blessing does not come from fixing these things. The blessing was yours from the beginning, even though you weren't allowed, weren't able to fix them. Um, and, and so it's not about the completion of anything. Um, there's a, a, a pastor friend of mine who, who went to, he spent, he spent a few weeks in Cambodia and he gets there and he's never been to a third world country and he's riding in the back of a taxi cab and he passes this guy on the side of the road just beating his wife, or he assumes, just beating this woman. And he says, stop, pull over, pull over. We, we have to stop. We have to, we have to deal with this. We have to help. And the cab driver looks at him and says, listen, American. You can't come here and fix all of this. this these, there are traditions that have been going on since before we knew your continent existed. And you want to come in here and you want to fix this? And sometimes you realize that fixing some of these things is not something you can even do. There are systemic Problems in human governments. We work them into them. It is what we do. There are problems that are so massive they will take generations, decades upon decades to turn them around. And it's sort of like, hey, a meteor's coming and we're going to try and change the trajectory of it. And you're just like, that doesn't sound possible at all. Um, and then there's these things that happen where... Um, you get this, like, this anxiety and this tension because like, maybe you want to buy a new car, you want to buy some new shoes, um, you want to buy something, and there's the nice version, which you like, and then there's the not nice version, but you realize there's all these things in the world, and if you didn't buy the nice version, you could take some of that money and feed a family for three months. And you're like, but I want these shoes because I have the matching belt it would complete the outfit. <laughs> but you're like, but if I do this, these people are hungry. But then if I go down to this, why couldn't I just go down to this? Or like, do we need shoes? Everything's paved. There's nothing sharp. Like I could go without shoes. And there's this constant tension in your life. And it's, it's, it's almost like if I could figure out the right thing, I talk to people all the time who say, I mean, I, I can't, no, I can't save for my retirement. I'm not going to save. I'm not going to do it. Why would I ever save for my retirement? Because um, there's, there's other people who have nothing. I can't save for myself, even though I know one day I'm not going to be able to work and I'll have to provide for my family, but it doesn't feel right putting money aside when other people have no money. And, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to find the blessing by making the right decision to gain the blessing, aren't we? And we don't feel right, and there's this tension, there is this anxiety. And there comes this moment where Jesus makes the announcement. He, says, he just says, hey, shalom, grace and peace. I know deep inside of you is this hunger and thirst for righteousness, for wholeness, for things to be whole. And I understand how difficult it is for you to attempt to, fi to, attempt to fix this. 
I understand the tension you carry around with you every day and the decisions you're making. I understand that. I just want you to know you were blessed long before you noticed any of this. The blessing doesn't come by fixing it. The blessing is yours already. Grace is not based upon your performance. You are loved already. There is nothing to do. Now, what would you like to do? There is nothing to do. And now that you know this, what would you like to do? Mothers. There is no amount of web pages that you could visit that will give you the confidence that you're doing everything right. There's no amount of magazines or books that you could read because you will always feel this. We know you want what's best. We know, we know you desperately love your children. We know... We know all you want is, is for this little person to grow up to be a loving, kind, empathetic, caring person who is successful, however this looks, whether it's just successful in friendship or love, but there's a point at which we want them to look around and realize that, the, uh, that in the eyes of everyone they look around at, who are looking back at them, that they see unconditional love because that's the kind of person that they are. And I want them to be this kind of person, and you're terrified they're not this kind of person, and 20 times a day you're like, this is not what I raised right here. What is this? What is this happening? <laughs> but when you realize it can't be made perfect, it can't be fixed, it can't be made perfect. When you realize that, then you are actually free to enjoy the good moments. You're like, you're like, it's a mess, but right now, look what we're doing. And I've got, I took, a, I took a picture and look at it. Look how peaceful it is. Look how beautiful we're smiling. And there's this understanding in the gospel that there's nothing to do. But what would you like to do? What do you love? What can we pour yourself into? Um, and it's not just that. Here's the problem. If you're like me, you get it from both sides. You get, um, the, you get it from the conservative side and the liberal side. You get it. The conservative side is always yelling at you, hey, um, be more holy. Everyone has to be more holy than they are. And this is a huge deal. Sanctification, become more holy. And if you do, if you do these things, uh, I will give you my blessing. I will let you sell your book in my bookstore. I will give you the deal, the record deal. I will put, reblog your blog, whatever. Like, I will offer you my blessing if you can be this list of holiness that I demand from you. And then you have those on the liberal side, and they're talking to you, and they're saying, you're going to drive that? You're going to buy that? Don't you understand that this and this are taking part in all this oppression around the world? And you're like, I do. I need some tomatoes, but I got to make sure these tomatoes weren't picked by indigenous slaves. Um, and I, I got to, this leather, is it, like, is it like Italian? Is it like free range or like did it, where? Where'd it come from? Um, and you're terrified and you can't get their blessing. You can't because you don't line up with their laws. And both sides are doing this to you. And they're holding back your blessing from you. And, and, and it just gets bigger and it gets bigger and bigger. And it says, do something, fix this now. You're not living up to our standards. We cannot bless you. We will not associate with you. And then Jesus enters in and just says, I'm with you. Be blessed. Be filled. Understand there is nothing to do. Now, what would you like to do? What is your love 
telling you to do? What is the response that you have to my grace for you? And what if, what if we worked this out into our relationships? There are people that are vying for your blessing. They're dropping names of famous people they've been around. They're talking about how, how, how much they've accomplished. They're wearing certain kinds of clothes. And all they want is for you to declare blessing over them. They want that peace. They're trying to get it from you. It's idolatry because they're supposed to get it from God. And they're coming to you and they say, bless me, bless me, please. And you say, you didn't, you didn't need any of this. You already have my blessing. This is how we raise our children. This is how we dwell in marriage. This is how we interact with our community. There's nothing for you to do. I love you. I'm here to pour myself out for you. How can I help? You don't need to do anything to earn my favor. And as you love people, I say this all the time, as you love people, you know what happens? They become very lovable. And they start pouring out for you. And this is like the picture of the cross. This is how it works. There's all these laws, and all the people are trying to do all these laws, and Jesus just kind of steps up and says, I'll take the cross. There's nothing else to do. Stop laying stuff around my altar. It's crowded. I don't need anything on it. There's nothing to do. Um, so let's take communion. Uh, if you're a communion server, please go ahead and, and take the, um, the elements and spread around the room. Um, today, let us realize the amount of favor we've been trying to earn, the amount of blessing we've been trying to get out of people, out of God, um, different partisan groups trying to vie for our favor and our our ability to impress them so they can bless us. Let us throw it all away and realize we are free. Christ has set you free. You are free. You are loved. You are a child of God. Now let's take part in being to the world what Christ is to us. And so we're going to take some time in communion. Um, you guys can come on and um, spread the elements around the room. Um, Communion is, is, it's the table of Christ. Whatever gifts and abilities we have, whatever holiness you carry, whatever sin and guilt you carry, you bring it to the table and you say, here's what I've got. Whether you like it or not, I have no idea. And Jesus takes it and you know what he offers? He offers body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ spilled for you. Each one of us, the same. There is enough for everyone. There is enough. It's enough to cover all of you, all of our sins, all our failures. And so let's take some time and let's pray and take communion. Father, we love you. We thank you. Guide our prayers. Um, hear our, uh, our desire for things to be whole. Remind us that our ability to make things right, our ability to fix things, does not determine our blessing from you. And let, be, let that be the centerpiece of our existence. Thank you. In your name, amen.